we'll get started here that we're reading in Genesis chapter 42 in Genesis chapter 42 and uh, uh, just to remember Joseph's brothers have now come into Egypt and this guy Joseph had this whole thing planned out you can't think of this fast enough on the fly he knew they were coming I always wondered why he would not have gone back why would he have not gone back during the seven years of plenty to go and see his father and to say hey I'm alive because he wanted to see his brother's hearts turned. He wanted to see them turned. He wanted to see them coming to an understanding of, uh, of, of, of the truth. And if he just appeared there with all his troops from, from Egypt, how could he ever get people to convert? How could he get so- uh, uh, hearts to soften? God does not come and display His overwhelming power and crush us to get us to try to convert, to get us to try to turn our hearts. That's not the way God works. He works with us tenderly. And then if we don't turn, He puts us in situations that will ultimately cause us to cry out. And that's what He's done. You see in verse 5 of of chapter 42 of the book of Genesis, So the sons of Israel came to buy grain among those who were coming for the famine in the land of Canaan. There was a famine in the land of Canaan also. So he funneled all those from other nations into one spot. They had to go to one place in Egypt. And that was the place he was monitoring. Remember, they had grain stored throughout Egypt. It was all, all locally grown. So the Egyptians didn't have to travel to one spot. But those from outside the land had to travel to one spot. And in verse 6, Now Joseph was ruler over the land, and he was the one who sold to all the people of the land. He was the one who sold it. He was there monitoring at the place where all these people were funneled into. And so remember, he, he confronts his brothers. He says, you're spies. But his brothers say to them and say to him in verse 11 of themselves, in Genesis chapter 42, verse 11, we are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. So they spoke of themselves as being honest men. This is still how they portrayed themselves as being honest men. I can remember when the, first, when the gospel was first shared with me and a young man from the Navigators Campus Ministry read this verse to me. We read it together in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I looked at him and I said, I'm not a sinner. I've never killed anybody. I've never robbed a bank. How can I be a sinner? I was totally oblivious to the depths of, 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 of where sin could, sin could be. And then he goes on and, and uh, he says to them in verse 14 of Genesis chapter 42. We'll start reading from there. Gen- Joseph said to them, it is as I say to you, you are spies. By this you will be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you will not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you that you may get your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you. But if not, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. So he put them all together in prison for three days. Then Joseph said to them, On the third day, do this and live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined in your prison. But as for the rest of you, go carry grain for the famine of your household and bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you will not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, truly we are guilty concerning our brother because we saw the distress of his soul and he pleaded with us, yet we would not listen. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. Reuben answered and said to them, saying, 
Did I not tell you, do not sin against the boy? You would not listen. Now comes the reckoning for this blood. And so, you see that he put them in prison for three days to soften them up. God allows us to go into the prison of our hearts. He allows us to go through situations to soften us up, to soften up the situation so that we don't think that we're, we're, we're as great as we think, as we might, might, uh, formally think that we are. He softens them up and then he brings them out and he confirms to them in verse 18, I fear God. When a man or a woman says, I fear God, it is a huge thing. It's a huge thing. It, it, it sets up and immediately when you say, I fear God, you establish yourself as one who is not just functioning from your own self. You fear God. You know, when a man says at work, I fear God, if he's willing to come out and say something like that, he cannot, he cannot uh, go hitting on his secretary without being called an absolute hypocrite. So when we let people know that we fear God, it keeps us walking on the straight and narrow. When a person in leadership fears God, when a person in leadership fears God, that, that there, there is something beyond themselves that is guarding them. This is a good thing. It is a good thing to have this. It's a good thing to have that sort of protection. And he reassures them, I fear God. And he says to them, do this and live. And then he says in verse 19, if you are honest men, then go bring your brothers. He puts right back on them what they said. They said of themselves up in verse 11, we are honest men. He says, okay, if you're honest men, then go get your brother. And uh, leave one of you here, go get brother, but your brother. But look what he says in verse 19. Go bring grain for the famine of your household. He was concerned for their household. Had he just been an authoritative king, he never would have said, I care about your household, go, go bring grain. He cares about their household. You can see that even when he's trying to come with this hard attitude, that he, 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 can't, he can't. I mean, he's just, he just says, you've got to go bring grain for your household. And it's in verse 21, as we saw it before, that they said, truly we are guilty concerning our brother. So remember, his motivation through all of this is to bring them to a point of remorse for what they had done and confession. He does it right here. He brings them to a point of remorse and confession. He says, truly we are guilty. Truly we are guilty. This is their confession. This is their remorse. We saw his distress. We never learned about his distress when they threw him into that pit. We, it, it's not mentioned. But we see here that, that, that Joseph was in great distress and he was pleading with his brothers. We had never seen that previously. Here he's pleading with his brothers. And, and, uh, um, and he pleaded with them, yet they would not listen. Therefore, they say, therefore, this distress has come upon us. Remember, when there's guilt in our hearts, we see all, all events in the prism of our guilt. Reuben answered and said to them, do not, did I not tell you, do not sin against the boy? And you would not listen. Now comes the reckoning for his blood. He acknowledges the due judgment that, that should be coming upon them. This is their due judgment. In verse 23, they did not know, however, that Joseph understood, for there was an interpreter between them. He turned away from them and wept. But when he returned to them and spoke to them, he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. So when, when Joseph finally heard them, number one, feel remorse. Number two, uh, uh, confess to their sin. They felt remorse and they confessed their sin. 
when he finally heard that, it broke him. It absolutely broke him because that's what he was setting them up for. He didn't go and try to scare them over the last seven years. He knew that they would come to him. God is very patient for God to wait a decade or two decades. This is 22 years after they had thrown him in the pit. For God wait, for God to wait decades to get a hold of our heart, it's no problem for him. These guys had to live with it for decades. For decades they had to carry this with them. And, and that made them sin all the more. Because in the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes verse, chapter 8 verse 11, Ecclesiastes 8 11, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. Because a sentence, God does not sentence us as soon as we sin, It causes us to think, oh, well, nothing happened, and we do more evil. And you saw the destruction that came upon, we saw just one picture of, of Judah, and the destruction that came upon his life, and two of his sons, because of this carrying this sin in his heart, and he wouldn't deal with this properly. And so all of this came upon him. You see this struggle that came upon him, and you see what was happening to him. And, and, and we just, he, the Bible gives us one of the ten brothers, the struggles that they went through for the last 22 years. We got a 22 year snapshot of, 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 uh, uh, of Judah. Here we have now the, the destruction that they were going through for 22 years. Don't carry your sin with you. Let this thing go. And he wept because all of a sudden they had confessed, they felt remorse for their sin and they confessed their sin. Now he has to test them. Are they going to repent? Are they going to turn away? To feel, to confess? To feel remorse is not the same as repentance. Repentance means I'm going this direction and I turn around and I go the opposite direction. Are they going to turn now from their sin? Are they going to treat their youngest brother Benjamin the way they treated Joseph? Have they turned? Have they changed their attitudes? So that's what he has to check with them now. So he took Simeon, he bound him, and he put him in the jail, and he let the other nine brothers go back, bring food for their household, and to retrieve Benjamin. Why Simeon of all the ten? The Bible does not tell us why Simeon. But remember, Simeon was probably the most violent of all ten of them. Simeon was the one who led the charge into Shechem and destroyed an entire city, all the men in the city. He destroyed them all. He took his brother Levi, who was his younger brother, and the two of them went at night when these people were in pain from, from, from this agreement they, that they had made. They were in pain. He killed them all. He was a very violent man. He may have been one among that group that wasn't showing any remorse. He may have been the one that he knew that, that, that was so hard he would sway his nine other brothers away from doing what they need to do. He chose him for some reason because he knows what's in Simeon's heart. He took him, bound him in front of them and put him in the jail. They needed to see Simeon bound because he's still getting at their hearts and he puts him in a jail and he sends the others back. Verse 25, Then Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and restore every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. And thus it was done for them. So they loaded their donkeys with the grain and departed from there. Verse 27. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, 
he saw that his money, and behold, it was in the mouth of the sack. And he said to his brothers, My money has been returned, and behold, is even in my sack. And their hearts sank. And they turned trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? So you see that that Joseph took their money and he had it put in the mouth of the sack. This was each individual man's money, not the equivalent of what they gave. This is the same sack, the same sack of money that they had, each man had come with was put into their individual sacks. He's dealing with them individually. He says to them, it says, each man's money in his sack. Not the equivalent, but each man's money. They came with coins. Maybe some were silver, maybe some were gold. Whatever each man came with in their hand. Because they were giving to each man according to the human beings. They wouldn't just let them stock up on tons and tons of of grain. No, each person got a certain amount. Each man came with his sack of money. It was put, but he gave them their sack in verse 25, and he gave them provisions for the journey. So not just what they had purchased, not just the sack, but he gave them a, on top of that provisions for the way back because it's 450 miles between where, where he, where, where they are in Egypt back to, to Hebron, uh, back to near Hebron. So it's about 450 miles. If you were to drive it today by car, it'd be 450 miles. It may have been much longer back then because they may have gone, have to gone up the Mediterranean coast and then across and back down very much the way that Joseph had gotten there along the trade routes, which would have made it much longer. Because you, you say, well, why didn't they just go as the crow flies? It's not easy to go as the crow flies. There, there are mountains in the way. There, there, there are deserts in the way. And so it's a lot easier often, especially if you've got animals that are carrying sacks of grain, to go along the normal trade route. So it may have been more than 450 miles. But he gave them along the way. But one of the men, one of the nine, happened to open his sack and he sees this. And what's their response? He says, my money has been returned to me. Behold, it's even in the sack. And their hearts sank and they turned trembling to one another saying, what is this that God has done to us? The first time they mention God. This is the first mention of God. Joseph mentions God all the time. These these nine brothers are are among the the ten that had thrown. You never see them talk about God. Judah never mentioned God when we read that whole chapter about his life. He never mentioned God. Here we see that they're mentioning God for the first time, but it's, it's not, oh, how wonderful God is. It's how God is getting us back. Their mention of God is, is a feeling of real fear. There is no enjoyment of what God is bringing before them. They're mentioning God. For the first time they mention God, but it's a fear. Something that most people would rejoice with. Hey, my money has been given back to me. It's clearly in my sack. These men get it and their heart sinks. Their heart sinks. When you're guilty, even the good things that come in life, you see through the prism of the guilt. Even the good things that come at you, you think, oh, God's really setting me up for a fall now. He's really setting me up for this fall that I'm about to go through. This is what He's doing to me. You view God as being somehow mean. When you yourself are walking in guilt, you view him as, as one who's going to clobber you. You don't view him as the one who's so kind and so gracious. This is why he wants so much for us to be free from the guilt of our hearts. He wants us to come to him in prayer and in repentance. 
receiving the gift of His Son. Because or else there's this barrier between us and God. We view Him as being mean. Remember what we've read these verses before. When we view Him as being mean, He appears mean to us. This is how they viewed Him and it caused terror in their hearts. Most men would be happy. But their hearts sink. And they are trembling for fear because of this. In verse 28, this is trembling to one another saying, what is this that God has done to us? As if it's a judgment to have your money returned to you. Everything you'll see through the prism of guilt. Verse 29, And when they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke harshly to us and took us for spies of the country. Of the country. But we said to him, We are honest men. We are not spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. And one, one is no longer alive, and the youngest is with our father today in the land of Canaan. The man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me, and take grain for the famine of your household, and go. Bring your youngest brother to me, that I may know that you are not spies, but honest men. I will give I will give your brother to you, and you may trade in the land. Now it came about, as they were emptying their sacks, that behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were dismayed, or every other Bible translation says afraid, the the Young's Little Translation, they were afraid. Their father Jacob said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. And Simeon is no more. And you would take Benjamin? All these things are against me. So they finally get back to their father. They travel that, that long distance back. And uh, uh, they get back to their father. And they describe to him what went on. And they, they explain, the man says, we're not going to get Simeon back unless we bring Benjamin with us. And you can imagine how, his heart, how uh, Jacob's heart sank. It says in verse 35, And now all the other nine started to empty their sack because they already had provisions that Joseph had given them for the way. So now they empty their sacks out and every man's bundle of money, that's the individual bundle that they brought, was put individually back in their sack. This is an intentional thing. This is not a mistake. It's intentional. And they look at this and rather than then, then look, look at this as a gift of kindness and joy. The way they view this is that it makes them afraid when they saw these bundles of money. They were dismayed or they were afraid. They were afraid. You see everything through the prism of guilt. You view God as being mean when you're walking in sin. When you're walking in sin, you, you view God as, as being mean. Their father Jacob said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. He looks at these nine and he says, you have bereaved me. Not this leader in Egypt. It's you guys. Almost as if Jacob doesn't trust these brothers. As if, how could your money have come back to you? You guys must have done something illegal. You must have done something wrong. You must have tried to rip off the Egyptians and your brother got caught and thrown in jail. He doesn't even trust them. It's a sad thing when parents cannot trust their children. It's a really sad thing when that comes upon a home. But Joseph just outright doesn't trust them. He says, you have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. And Simeon is no more. Every time they go off, he loses, he loses a child. This is the way Jacob 
is viewing this. And he says, and you would take Benjamin? All these things are against me. Look at his view. He had stolen this birthright from his, 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 uh, his brother decades before, decades ago. And still he's viewing this as if God, God's allowing all this to happen to me. All these things are against me. This is why I urge you to come to the Lord. I urge you. Verse 37, Then Reuben spoke to his father, You may put my two sons to death if I do not bring back to you, uh, uh, if I do not bring him back to you, meaning Benjamin. But put him in my care and I will return him to you. But Jacob said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead and he alone is left. If harm should befall him on the journey you, you are taking, then you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol in sorrow. You will do it. He didn't trust these nine brothers. He didn't trust them. I sent my, my, younger, my, my, my Joseph to you and he never came back to me. He knew these guys were, had been up to no good regarding Joseph. He didn't trust them. And, and for Reuben to say, I have two sons, you can kill them if I don't bring Ben. I mean, what is that? Kill my sons as if their grandfather is really going to kill them? I mean, look at the way these guys think. It's all a warped way of thinking. If I don't bring your sons back, then kill my two sons. I mean, the whole thing is messed up. God, you see, you, you see what, what Joseph is doing. He is wooing them back to repentance. He is setting up everything to draw them to a place of repentance. God does this. This is exactly what God does. He draws us back to repentance. When I told this young man, when, he's, when, when I read this verse, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and I said, I'm not a sinner. I, I felt that if, if, I, if I didn't rob a bank, if I didn't kill anybody, how could I be a sinner? I felt that the sin could only be done if I intentionally, with my hands, hurt somebody. And then he had me read this verse from Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman for lust, with lust for her, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That was it. I mean, as soon as I read that, I was convicted because at the time, I was addicted to pornography. From the age of 14, I had been addicted to pornography. And here I was, I had just gotten to college, I was 18 years old, and I read this verse, and then I realized that it wasn't merely what I do with my hands that makes me a sinner. It's what I do with my mind, what I do with my heart that makes me a sinner. It's my heart can condemn me. My heart makes me a sinner. And when I read that verse, I knew I was a sinner. I was so into pornography, I didn't know how to look at a woman any other way. I mean, that, that was it. That was my life. You know, if I, if I looked at a woman, I was just lusting after her. And, and, and uh, uh, so I knew I was convicted. But then he had me read some, some other verses. It says in, in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace you have been saved through faith. I asked him, what's this word grace mean? He says, grace means an undeserved gift. By an undeserved gift you are saved. These men had an undeserved gift. They were given extra food for their journey back, beyond what they had purchased. They were given their money back, which they brought with them. They were given it back. They were given grace by this ruler. By grace you have been saved 
through faith. It's faith that gets it. So in other words, it says, it says, and then the rest of the verse says, it is a gift of God. It, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith that not of yourselves. It's not something you can get yourself. It's not something I can do myself. It is a gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. It's not something I can do with my hands. It's not a result of my works. There's nothing of my works that I can do here that's going to get me saved. Just as my hands, my hands were the things that, that I thought were the only thing that could make me into a sinner. But then I learned it was what I do with my mind, what I do with my heart. But then also what I do with my mind, what I do with my heart by having faith. That is what can get me saved. Through a gift from God, it's not a result of works. And then I remember he took me to another verse. Took me to Romans. Uh, he, 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 there's another verse in Romans that he's, it says in, in Romans chapter, chapter 5, verse 6. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus died for the ungodly. So how does God make the way? How does God make the way for, for, for me to get rid of this guilt? He sends His Son to die for me. How did Joseph make his, the way for his brothers to come to a place of, of confession? To come to a place of remorse? To come to a place of repentance? How did he do this? He did this by, by he himself enduring 13 years of imprisonment uh, of slavery and imprisonment 13 years of slavery and imprisonment he endured on behalf to open up the door for him to do this with his brothers and then planning seven years plus two years planning an extra nine years so that now his family finally comes back joseph went through so much jesus went through more god sets the whole thing up and he is the one who protects us He's the one who protects us from falling into this. He's the one that does this. He's the one that protects us from falling into this way. Christ died for the ungodly. So remember, Jesus dies for the ungodly, for the sinner. Jesus doesn't die for the good person. If you think you're good, this salvation is not for you. Jesus died not for the godly, but for the ungodly. That's who Jesus died for. That's the one who opens up this door. And then in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it says, 1 Peter 3, 18, it says, For Christ also died for sins, once for all, the just for the unjust, so that He might bring us to God. Jesus dies, He being just for the unjust. Joseph suffers the just for the unjust, so that He could bring them back to God. Christ dies once for all, the just for the unjust, so that He might bring us to God. He sets the whole thing up. You see, Jesus is the one who sets this up for us. He's the one who does this. He's the one who sets this up. It's Jesus in everything. If there's anything good, it's embodied in Jesus Christ. Oh, how I long to see you love Him more. Oh, love Jesus. Give your life to Him. Give your life to Him this day. If you do not know the Lord, I urge you, give your life to Jesus this day. If you know the Lord, I urge you, to get to know Him better, to not look at God as an ogre who wants to clobber you. He is wooing you to Himself. He's calling you to repentance. If there is some sin, 
in your life that is unconfessed, I urge you to come before Him this day and confess it. If it involves another person, if there's a sin against another person, I urge you this day to get that resolved, to call that person, to meet with that person if you can. If you can't, just call, if you can't, then call them. The worst thing is to send them an electronic message because it's very hard to get, get your spirit there. But if you can call them and just say, look, I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry for the way I've treated you. This was wrong of me. I shouldn't have done this. It was so wrong of me. I shouldn't have done this. How we need to do that. And remember, because we are believers, we are the ones that are called to initiate this. We cannot expect unbelievers to initiate this. We are the ones who have to initiate it because His call upon our lives is greater. If we have salvation, His call upon our life is greater. We are the ones who have to initiate this. To call them and to say, look, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done this. Don't bring up what they did. That's between them and God. Just say, for what I've done, I am sorry. I'm sorry for what I've done. Please forgive me. And then just leave it at that. And just deal with these issues. If you've stolen something, if you've taken something, I urge you, make restitution. That means you return it to them. If you've had some time that you used it, give some money to compensate for the time that you've had it. Do something to give back. If it takes you years to pay back what you've taken, get on a payment plan to pay it back. I urge you to do that. Why leave this barrier between you and God? Or else, what will happen? You will see everything in life through that prism of guilt. Even when good things upon you, you think that God's just setting you up for a greater fall. Even... even uh, uh, Jacob was viewing all this. He says, all this has come upon me. Even he viewed all this, of all these gifts in the, in the sack. He, he couldn't understand. He thinks all of this is against me. He doesn't know that God is setting up all of this to work together for good. And so often we go throughout life and we think that God is this ogre and He's doing all this to make it miserable for me. While all the time He's setting it up for us to be a blessing to the world and to be blessed. He's all the time he's setting this thing up and we look at God as if he's being mean to us and he's not being mean at all. He is trying to get at our hearts. He's trying to set this thing up for good. You think, well, why am I so shy? Why do I have such low self-esteem? Why do I why do I struggle with this this depression? Why do I go you know, we are we are composite creatures who are very complex. We go through things to keep us walking in humility. You know, if I, I, I look at some people and they, they, they have, it seems they have everything going for them. They, you know, they, they, they have the world by the tail. Well, you know, sometimes for those people, it's really hard for them to settle back and to say, wow, and try, cry out to God for help. What, wherever God has placed you, wherever God has placed you, He is trying to maximize His effect on you and on your life so that you would see what His hand can do in your life. He is not against you. He's for you. He's kind. He's gracious. If He gave you the life of His Son, will He not give you all things with Him? Jesus is kind and gracious in every way. In every way, He's kind and gracious and good and compassionate. And these men, because of the sin in their life, were unable to see that Joseph was setting it up to get at their hearts and to bring them into a land of protection and great blessing. And remember, every time one of the patriarchs, Abraham in, in, in Genesis chapter 12, had to go into Egypt. Uh, Isaac had to go into Gerar. 
and uh, uh, now Jacob has to go into Egypt. Every one of the patriarchs, when they had to go into, when they had to flee and go into uh, some strange land because of a famine. Famines are hard. Famines are much harder than what we're going through with this coronavirus. Uh, uh, we, have, we have plenty of food. Famines are really hard. These people had to go far away. But every time they came out of those famines richer than when they went in. Abraham came out of Egypt much richer than he went in. Isaac came out of Gerar much richer than he went in. Joseph goes into Egypt and the Israelites are going to come out of Egypt much richer than when they went in. God sets things up for our good. We don't see it, but he's setting all things up for our good because he is good and holy and righteous and gracious in every way. I urge you this day to walk in repentance. If you do not know him, I urge you to come to him this day, to pray with me this day, to invite him into your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. It is so good. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus and what he's done in our lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus, how you have set everything up. You died for the ungodly. That means you died for us. You do things to get a hold of our hearts so that we do not walk in a guilty way, so that we walk uprightly before you so that we can see your hand of goodness and kindness upon us. And Lord, I pray for these young people, the ones here who know you, that you would cause them to walk in openness before you. Father, that you would cause them to walk in honesty before you, to confess their sins. And if those sins involve others, that they'd go and confess their sins and be kind and gracious. As humiliating as it will be, they would walk in humility and go and ask forgiveness. Lord, please keep their hearts pure before you so that they don't have to see through a prism of guilt. And Lord, I ask for those who do not know you that they would pray this very day, Lord Jesus, forgive me because I am a sinner. Lord, forgive me for the things that I have done. Wash me by the blood of Jesus. I believe Jesus is Lord and that he's risen from the dead. Lord, draw them to your Son this day, I pray. And Lord, I commit these fine people to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. So let me just mention, if you, if you gave your heart to the Lord Jesus this morning, I ask you to send me an email, tour at rice.edu. Send me an email and let me know. I'd like to know. If you need to talk with me, to hear more about Jesus because you, you're unable to give your heart to Him this day, I will be glad to set up a one-on-one -on -one Zoom conversation with, with you with the intent of telling you my story about how I came to Jesus. And, uh, um, uh, but I, I just want to have that opportunity with you. Okay?